Welcome to the Business That Matters Spotlight. I'm Warren Coughlin, founder of this podcast and business coach to ethical entrepreneurs who want to build a business that matters. In short, I help you end chaos and gain control over your business so that you predictably and reliably achieve the profits, the lifestyle, and the impact you strive for through a team you can trust without the stress and frustration. When you experience this, you're more confidently able to make the world or just your corner of it a bit of a better place. At The Spotlight, we believe that every entrepreneur has a unique message that can positively impact the world and inspire others to do the same. Stick around to the end of the show. We'll reveal how you can be our next guest. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Business That Matters Spotlight. My name is Warren Coughlin and I'm your host and I'm really excited to talk today. I think this is the first time we've had a guest on the show who is a certified B Corp uh, company, which is awesome. We'll hear a little bit more about what that is. This is Amber Hines of Equalize Digital. Amber, thanks very much for coming on the show. It's great to see you. Thanks for having me, Warren. I'm excited to be here. So your focus, tell, tell us a little bit. I want to I I hear it from you. I was going to jump in and say it, but Equalize Digital um, has a really interesting focus on accessibility. So can you just talk a little bit about what that means, accessibility and who you serve and a couple of things about what, like, what the business actually does and its focus? Sure, yeah. So Equalize Digital is a company that focuses specifically on WordPress website accessibility. We do accessibility consulting, which could be anything from doing accessibility audits. We have um, blind individuals on our team who can test websites for problems if you want to have user testing. And we do accessible development for um, typically it's government agencies, nonprofits, higher education, higher education and uh, larger businesses. So we'll build websites that work for people with disabilities. And then we also have a software product called Accessibility Checker, which can be used to audit and find problems. Uh, on the back end of a WordPress website so that the content creator can say, oh, I forgot to put alternative text on an image, which is description that describes what it is for someone who's blind. Uh, so we're really focused on trying to build a web that works for everyone. I think some people don't realize that there are special things you have to do on your website in order to ensure that they work for people with disabilities. And it's really a broad range of disabilities. So it could be blindness, deafness, uh, seizure disorders, uh, even people with dyslexia, if you have certain fonts, it can make it really hard for them to read the content on your website. Uh, and beyond that, accessibility can help um, even people that we don't typically think of as disabled or having a long, long-term challenge in their life. So for example, language learners often benefit from accessibility features or, you know, if I'm using my phone and I'm laying next to my toddler at night and I want to watch a video and it has captions on it, I can actually watch that video, right? right. Um, so, so a lot of accessibility features can benefit our whole audience, uh, but that's really what we're trying to do is make a web that works for everyone. That's awesome. Now, could, I want to dive into a couple of those a little bit because mm -hmm. I think when, when people hear about accessibility on websites, they tend to default to thinking about visually impaired. Um, mm -hmm. But some of those that you just described are are kind of interesting, like seizures, like, um, you know, dyslexia, look, they're just on a couple of those, like, what would what would be a danger for somebody who's prone to seizures on a web on a web design? Yeah, so uh, there are some people who have what's called photosensitive epilepsy, and their seizures can be triggered by uh, rapid flashing or flickering. So 
a common thing that we used to see more of some a little bit less now um, is sliders on websites. So right. if you have a slider with, let's say, photo and text over it, and it's going by too fast, and there's no way for them to pause or stop it, um, it could trigger something in their brain that would cause them to have a seizure while they're looking at your website. Um, wow. You know, another one that I didn't mention is uh, mobility challenges. So we see this a lot um, with people who've either had an injury or maybe they're a vet um, and they've lost a limb and they may not be able to use a mouse. So they might be using keyboard only or maybe someone with really advanced um, MS. And so they're actually using uh, eye tracking software or maybe a voice where they're talking and telling their cursor where to go on their computer. And right. so accessibility features help people like that. So the thing that's really interesting is we talk about like all of us are aging into needing accessibility features on websites as our eyesight get worse as we get older. Um, but we also could like any minute if something were to happen to us, you know, God forbid, we might suddenly realize how important accessibility is. Yeah. And with increased reliance on the internet for all sources of information and supports, it's pretty important. Yeah. I mean, we especially saw that, I think, with COVID, where people were really locked in their houses. And, you know, now it's like, let's order food online, let's order our groceries online and things like that. You know, and, and, and some people with disabilities are at a far greater risk with when there's a pandemic going on. And so they want to be able to take advantage of things online um, and interact with businesses online so that they can stay safer. But if the websites don't work, then they might have to go out in public and it puts them at greater risk. And so... Uh, what kind of, uh, just to help a few people, I was just a really quick one that you mentioned, like what fonts would actually be better for somebody with dyslexia versus those that are more problematic? So if you're really into this, there's all kinds of research where they've actually done research. Um, the short answer is the best is what's called a sans serif font, which is fonts where there aren't little tails on them. Yeah. And one of the things that we like to do when you're looking at words um, is put put a letter like for example an r and an, an n next to each other because if the letter spacing is too close together and there's the serif on the edges an r and an n can easily look like an m to some oh. people um, so there's different sorts of tests that you can do as you're choosing the fonts for your website to try and see like is this really readable. Um, I'll say too, like some websites, and I do see this on some small businesses or like um, coaches, like a lot of the female coaches, they like to choose like handwritten fonts. Yeah. And those can be really challenging for people to read. So it's really better to have more of a plain sans serif font with a decent sort of even spacing between the letters. Isn't that interesting? Like when I first learned about uh, some of this, I was before accessibility was an issue, I'm an old guy, or it's always been an issue, but before it was talked about mm -hmm. as an issue, um, I was told use serif font because the tails connecting make it easier to read and the eye doesn't stop as much. Um, so if yeah. you want someone to read your full text, it encourages continual flow of reading, but that doesn't, I, I wasn't informed then about the impact of that for someone with dyslexia. I think, you know, I think the original thought on this, the serif fonts really comes out of like what works well in print. And the thing is, is there's a lot of practices in print that don't translate as well to the web 
And in the early days of the web, we were just doing what we knew worked well in print. That's right. <laughs> and now we're starting to realize, oh, maybe this isn't actually the best. So tell me, what, why is this so important to you? Like, how did you find your way into this world of accessibility consulting and web design? Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I had like a really inspirational story for that. People ask me that. Um, what I will say is that I first got introduced to accessibility in 2016 when we started working with Colorado State University. Uh, all universities and federally funded organizations in the United States have to have uh, websites that meet certain guidelines under the web content accessibility guidelines. And so it was a little bit of trial by fire. But what I will say, like getting embedded into the community um, and then we started doing things like having user tests and being able to talk with people who use assistive technology on a daily basis, whether um, like a lot of, you know, our users that we have are blind, um, but I also have quite a few friends on LinkedIn who are deaf um, and, and just hearing their stories and their experience for me, I don't know, I've always felt like I wanted to make a difference in the world and, and hearing that and thinking I really can, you know, if I make this practice change just in how we build websites or in how we write a blog post, um, and, and hearing from someone what a difference that can make, like that to me made me feel, you know, it made me feel good in a way that I was like, you know, this should be the focus of our business. Like it shouldn't just be a side thing we do sometimes. And so that's really when we were like, no, we're going to make accessibility about who we are. Um, so. That's great. And, you know, you said, I wish I had a more inspirational story. I actually think people can take a great deal of inspiration from that. Like the inspirational stories, what, one of the challenges, I think, I got to be careful how I say this, because this could say seem in, incorrect. But there's a lot of times like people get into a cause because they've been deeply personally affected by something. Mm -hmm. But I think people need to think about social issues that are outside of just what's affected them personally, because that, that's the way we all get involved in making things better. You know, I have a, an old client who does um, adaptive clothing design. She was a really high-end fashion designer, and she just happened to become friends with the sister of a weird coincidence, an old classmate of mine who was mm -hmm. shot in a, in a violent incident and wound up in a wheelchair. And wow. um, she, all of a sudden, this, this old client of mine who was a fashion designer. She went, I never even thought about that. Never like, thought you're a about it, right? you're a suit jacket and you're sitting in a wheelchair all day that actually bunches up and is uncomfortable. So how mm -hmm. do you design it? So it like cuts off sooner and if someone has a, they have to navigate their arms. You can actually dislocate shoulders and stuff for people who have different forms of disability. And so how do you design the clothing to be able to get into it easier in a way that isn't dangerous or damaging and how to use fabrics that are better when you're seated all day. Um, and it was interesting, like she didn't have a deep personal experience, but she just saw there's a problem out there that isn't actually being addressed. And I have some skills that I can bring to that problem. Um, and I think if, if people think of it through that lens more than just, oh, what are the causes I've been deeply affected by? I think it, it'll orient. And that's one of the reasons I was excited about having you on the show actually, is that to get more people mm -hmm. think, well, that's just, it's a good business opportunity. And it actually happens to address a cause that even if it wasn't one I knew about before, it's one that needs somebody to look after it. Yeah. And I think, I think in a lot of businesses or nonprofits, either way, where you're like working to make the world better, um, like there's always room for allies, 
right? And oh, yeah. advocates. I just think, you know, one of the things that we try to be cognizant of, of course, we have people on our team now, um, with, but in the early days is like, you have to be open to listening and really hearing a lot, right? If it's not your personal experience, you need to go out and seek the voices of people who have that experience so that you're not being prescriptive in a way. Yeah. Um, but I feel like, you know, we really, to me, I just love knowing that I can do something to make the world better. I mean, not that marketing XYZ product that is random doesn't make the world better in some senses, but like, you know, actually they're having a focus on that is just very appealing to me and gives me purpose. Well, it's the other side. It's not so much about whether the business, but for people who are at home, to be able to have the same window on the world that everybody else has access to makes a huge impact. It's yeah, a matter of it a matter of respect and inclusion and all of that. So I think it's I think it's wonderful what you're doing. Um, and then, can you explain what a B Corp actually is for people who are new to that terminology? Sure. So a B Corp, which really sort of stands for a benefit corporation, is a for-profit business. So it's not a nonprofit that has been certified or gone through a certain process in order to prove that it's doing more for um, the, the world. So we have what we look at as kind of a triple bottom line impact. So we don't just measure the success of our business on our profits for owners. It's also how do we impact the community? How do we impact the employees? How do we impact the environment? Um, those sorts of things. And in some states in the United States, there is an actual business entity that you can register as, as a B Corp. Uh, that's not super common though. So we are, for example, a, um, an LLC. There are corporations that are B Corps. So you can have a lot of different structures and then, but you do need to, as you're going through the process, there's a nonprofit organization that oversees all of this. Um, you would amend your bylaws to specifically state, you know, that it's not just about profits and, and that sort of thing. And then there's a whole review process and they review your finances. They review like your employee handbook. They sometimes talk to customers and do customer interviews and look at all sorts of different data. And then you get a score. And if you have a score over a certain amount, then you're, you can be certified as a B Corp. And how, how arduous is that? Like I've known a few people who've gone through that here in Toronto, like the way you describe it, it sounds pretty, pretty hard, but I've seen some people go through and they've actually found it not that difficult to do. Yeah. I, so I don't think it was that hard per se. Um, we there's a free assessment that anyone can do, which does not cost anything um, on the beimpact.org website. I'm hoping I said that right. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's been a while since I've logged in. Um, but so anyone can do that. The assessment is pretty detailed. Like it has multiple hundreds of questions. So we did it in a few sittings. It's not like just sit down and answer these questions in 20 minutes or something like that. Uh, and then we had to find some supporting documentation. Then once you have your score and your score meets the threshold, then you say, if, if you are interested in actually being certified, then you would submit it. So then there was sort of a waiting process. So it took a long time, but I think there was a waiting until they had a reviewer who was able. And then we had a couple of calls and went back and forth on some of, they asked for more documentation about certain things. Um, or they're like, oh, hey, you missed this. You really need to do X, Y, Z. Um, 
so I don't know that it was hard per se. If you're, I mean, it might be challenging if you don't have a good bookkeeping system in place, right? right. Like, like we had all that. We, we had an employee handbook already, which we're, I didn't mention this, but we're a pretty small team. Um, there's five of us who work full-time and we have a couple of contractors and some companies of our size don't have employee handbooks. They don't have, you know, so then it would be like, are you going to write this? Yeah. Right. Um, so that helps if you already kind of have some of those things in place. That's awesome. And has it, has it helped you having that B Corp status? So I, yes, I do think it has benefited us on two fronts. Um, one I'll say is that, you know, we're not frequently hiring again because we're not a big company, but when we have hired since getting our, um, our certification, that's something that employees have said that they value. And so I think when we're posting our jobs, it maybe attracts higher quality candidates because they're interested in working for a company that they know is going to value them and, and isn't just saying that they value their employees, but has actually had a third party be like, yes, you do a good job. Here's your employee score. Right. Right. Um, and then I do think it has a, a sales and a marketing benefit as well. Um, we have customers who have come to us and they've said that they've chosen us over other vendors because of the fact that we're a B corporation. So yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And then how do you, you know, so you do the, the accessibility piece, but I'm also curious, like, do you do, do you do full design as well? Like, are you a design house or is it just doing accessibility checking on what someone else has designed? Nope. So we, we do full design development. Um, we do content writing for clients, graphics creation. Um, we, we do still manage also some social media because um, there's an accessibility piece of that. Many people don't know, like on Twitter, you can add alt tags to your images, Facebook too. Um, so you can make your social media accessible also. So we, we do do full stack marketing um, and the full website process from beginning to end. And is there a particular, like would, would small businesses reach out to you or is it mostly larger entities who are like, is this, is this driven by companies wanting to be more accessible or are there legislative requirements that are making them do this? So it, I think it's twofold. It really depends on where you are. So in Ontario, for example, all businesses that have more than 50 employees are required to have a accessible website or they could see fines of up to $100,000 per half day. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, and that, that really went into place in January of 2021. And um, that I think has driven a lot of businesses, the larger businesses in Ontario, uh, for-profit businesses to do that. Um, here in the States, it's kind of on the fence about whether for-profit businesses need to. There's a lot of lawsuits, which people may have heard about or seen some of that, because um, some have gone as far as the Supreme Court. Um, I don't say that we see a ton of for-profit businesses yet uh, really focusing on it unless they have a really keen interest in diversity um, and inclusion. But um, the government entities, surely, you know, they all are required to here in the States. Uh, We do have some small business clients. It sort of depends um, where they are. I think a lot of smaller businesses start with our testing tool, Accessibility Checker. There's a free version that is available on wordpress.org. And it, if you have a WordPress website, you can install it and it will scan. We don't, it's unlimited scanning. So you could scan 
um, all your posts and pages and get a report on each one of things you need to fix. And so a lot will start there. Sometimes they come to us for um, help fixing it. Sometimes they fix it on their own. We also run a meetup event where you can come learn about accessibility. And I think a lot of our free users come to the meetup because the meetup is free and that allows them to learn more about how they can fix things they're seeing in their reports. And is that an, is that an online um, meetup? Yep. Uh, so it's WordPress accessibility meetup and you can find it on meetup.com and we meet via Zoom twice a month. So we do one morning. It's the, the first Thursday in the morning and the third Monday in the evening. Uh, and that allows us to get, we actually get worldwide attendance, which is really cool. So our last meetup, there was someone from Iran there, um, someone from Ireland, like it kind of stretches all over um, and it's on Zoom and it's totally free. We have so who, live who, who captions. Who the ideal person to attend that? Is that, a, is, that a, is that people who are interested in development or is it the client types that would attend that? So we have a mix. Uh, different topics, I think, attract different people. Um, but it's not all developer focused. So for example, one of our last talks, um, we had a woman who is deaf, who is an advocate and speaks up a lot about captions and how to make captions good. And she was literally talking about good captions versus bad captions, all that. So anyone who creates content that maybe has videos might be interested in that. So we get a lot of content creators as well as, um, or like marketers, as well as the developers. That's awesome. Yeah, I that's a growing community. It, it's, it is. It's our, we've had as many as 50 attendees in our meetup. So, yeah. So I'm interested from, from a marketing perspective for yourself. Um, mm -hmm. do, you, do you go with the do good message or do you go with the you'll be in trouble message? We really try to do positive marketing. Um, and I feel like that's actually one area is where we stand out. Um, there are a few spots on our website, pretty, they're more like smaller spots where it acknowledges like legal compliance or something like that. But we try really hard not to say like work with us or use our product to not get sued, right? Or to make sure you don't get a fine from the government. Um, because I just, I don't know. I don't. I like to motivate with carrots, not sticks. <laughs> no, that's, and there's actually, there's a, there's a lot of re interesting research in the diverse, diversity and inclusion space that mm -hmm. suggests that sort of the punitive approach or the, or the disciplinary approach to diversity and inclusion actually leads to a backlash. Like when people say, I have to do diversity inclusion, I have to have a quota. I have, it actually leads to like maximums becoming or minimums becoming maximums and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. whereas when it's done aspirationally, like you can participate in making the world a better place by doing this, people actually participate in a more active and open way. Mm -hmm. So I yeah, imagine, it's like, I think it's more welcoming and less threatening and people feel invited in. And my, my hope is just to inspire people. You know, I, I talk about accessibility a lot as a journey because there's a lot to, that needs to be done to quote unquote, make a website perfect. Right. Um, but there are small changes that can be made over time that will make it increasingly more accessible. Um, many things of which don't require developer level knowledge. And, and so, and I think it's really important for someone who's just a business owner and they're like, I, I want to make my website work for everyone, but 
I'm not, I can't code a custom theme or I don't have $15,000 to hire a developer to remake my thing, right? There are things that they can do just in how they're entering the content into the website that would make it work better. Um, and so that's kind of what we try like, we're like, take the baby steps. Like that's, what's important and start moving towards it. And, and over time, you know, the web will get better. Right. And that uh, the other reason I like that positive approach too. I look at it from the perspective of the person who does want accessibility. I don't want people doing things because they're forced to, and that I'm, I'm now some pain in the backside that they've got to deal with, but more like, Oh, these are people who actually want to do things and know that I'm part of the community and deserve to be part of it as well. Mm -hmm. I think that's just a better message for people who want websites to be more accessible. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Yeah, I like you're doing that kind of marketing. That's awesome. Um, So on the business side, so how tough, like what, what were the biggest challenges in starting this? So you started like, what was your, let me step back. Like, what was, were you a web developer first who got into this or... Like, how did you suddenly go, I'm going to become an accessibility expert. And then when you hung your shingle on that, what was the reaction? Was it tough to start getting doors open? So my backstory is that I started as a freelancer. I had a marketing background. And when my youngest daughter was born, we moved with my husband to Nantucket, which is an island. He was a chef and he was running a restaurant there. And I was working marketing in higher ed and there's no universities on tiny Nantucket Island. That's 11 square miles. So, um, so I was staying home with her, but we needed to supplement his income. And so I was like, Oh, maybe I can do some marketing consulting. So I kind of worked as a freelance marketer and I taught myself web development, um, from like 2010 to 2015 time. And in 2015 is when, uh, we had a lot of conversations. We had two children then we have four now, about wow. yeah the restaurant industry and how family friendly or not <laughs> it, it is and and we sort of realized that my business had the ability to provide for our whole family and give us a lot more freedom and allow my husband to spend more time with his children um and so we talked about okay let's let's make this into something so about 2015 was when we first started shifting it into an agency and bringing on people our lead developer came on who's still with us today um, in uh, 2017 but that that sort of time frame which was about the time that I really got introduced into accessibility um, so I had the background in web and marketing I already had clients uh, we fully made the switch though in 2020 um, so we've been running our marketing agency which had a different name and we were talking about what is our purpose? What are we going to do? What makes the most sense? And that's really when Equalized Digital was born because we're like, we need to have this whole brand that is focused on this because this is really what's inspirational to us. Um, And I feel like the reception has been really positive. We've gotten a lot of good feedback from people. Um, I, I will say there are some challenges in that, you know, a lot of business owners haven't heard of accessibility. Like I only learned about it because of, the relationship we had with a university that we just happened to get a, a website built there, right? And right. they were like, oh, by the way, this has to be accessible. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> you know? Um, so I do feel like there's an education piece uh, about one, what it is, and two, why it's important and, you know, why it's worth investing in um, because 
full website builds that think from an accessibility first perspective are more expensive than websites that don't consider accessibility at all because you have to put more thought and effort into them. Right. Um, so there have been some challenges on that front, but overall, I feel like um, we're entering a space that's kind of new and we're seeing increased traction. So I, I like to compare it a lot to, you, know, you probably remember, right? Websites before mobile was a thing. Like the first oh, yeah. websites I built were not mobile responsive. And it didn't really, and then for a while it was like, oh, you can do this or you can pay extra for this. But, but now no one would buy a website that isn't mobile responsive. Like it's just a default. And I feel like that's the direction we're going with accessibility. So eventually it will be something where the default is it's just accessible and, and we're just working on trying to get there. And do you ever get any pushback from people about, you know, all oh, this is just some other requirement or it's a cost we don't need or it's too touchy feely or that kind of like when people don't understand issues of accessibility, do they, do you get any of that kind of eye rolly response? Um, Yes. Well, we've, we've gotten some where, so in the very early days, um, when we're still working on our marketing agency, we would always have accessibility as an option and on a proposal. And here's the extra cost for us to do this extra work. And a lot of people wouldn't choose it. They'd just be like, well, I don't have customers that are disabled, <laughs> which is not true. <laughs> if you look yeah, at statistically, it's like one in five people in the world has a disability, right? So Every business probably does. They just might not know who they are, right? They might not have a face. So that's one thing we talk about is like, can we put a face on this? Can we be like, this is this person, right? And and that's something we talk to, you know, if we're working, whether it's a smaller business or even maybe a business is starting to grow and, and they have like someone who's in charge of marketing, but a decision maker about the budget, right? Like, how can we talk about this and put a face on it? Um, the other thing I would say for us, we're in the process right now with the accessibility checker, our auditing, our auditing software of, um, we've just like opened a fundraising round and we're trying to figure out what does that look like? And that's one thing from investors is some investors get it. And some investors are like, I don't know why this, you know, <laughs> we have to talk through that. Or they think it's a one-time thing. Like, well, wouldn't they just use your tool to make their website accessible and then they take it, they don't need to pay for it ever again. Right. right. Um, which is not the case because it would be the case if your website never changed. But we all know websites these days. <laughs> yeah. And, and if you're updating content all the time, you'd need to keep checking it. Right. Yeah. Every post you add needs to be checked. Um, or if you have a WordPress website and you're getting plugin updates every time there's a plugin update that could potentially add an accessibility problem if the developer of that plugin isn't paying attention. Right. Now you said you can find that on WordPress, but you have a link to it on your site as well. So where can people find out more about that accessibility checker? Because it's a, it's a great tool. Yeah, so our website is equalizedigital.com. And right in the navigation, you can find accessibility checker, but you could also just go equalizedigital.com slash accessibility dash checker. Awesome. I think people should check that out because it is what a great tool to just find out how you're doing and then give some ideas as to how to make it better. So as you grew, what, what would you say has been your biggest, as just an entrepreneur, apart from being a B Corp person and, you know, making a difference in the world, just as a business owner, what's been the biggest challenge you've had? Oh, well, okay. So we have a fully remote team. That was a decision that we made back in um, 2015 when we started bringing on our team. And it was a little bit based on my husband and I selfishly wanted to be able to travel around. We're like, why don't we make employees go to an office? 
Um, but I think learning how to hire, especially hire remote employees that you can't, that you can only have video interviews with. Um, and remember, this is like, we were doing Google Meet, I think it's like pre-Zoom even. Right. Um, that was definitely a challenge. Like our first couple of hires didn't work out well. There was one person that was like a salary employee and I'm fairly certain he did no work, but guess what? We had to pay him his full salary for two weeks because legally that was what we were obliged to do when we fired him, (laughs) you know? So we, I feel like that was a big learning curve for us, like how to hire and hire technical employees um, that are remote that I feel we're a lot more confident in that now, but that was a big challenge. And so what Uh, what have you built into your process to make that more successful? So because everyone's facing remote hiring now. So we spent a lot of time redoing the questions that we ask people. Um, There is a book and I'm in a space on who the author is, but it's called who and it's about hiring. Have you heard of that book? Oh, you got it. You can hold it up right here. Uh, Yes. Yes. By uh, smart and Randy street. Great book. Yes. So fabulous book. So we like revamped all, like we read that book, we revamped a lot of the questions that we asked. Um, we also did add for developers, especially we will do a test project with them where it's on a contract. So we pay them um, before we offer them a full-time salary position because we've just found that we learn a lot more <laughs> when they act, we actually work with them. Yes. Um, now that, that can be challenging because if they're in a salaried position, they're not gonna quit their salaried position for your contract. Maybe we're gonna hire you, maybe not. So like there's some, some things you have to work out a little bit there, right? Um, but that's been helpful. Uh, but I really think like the Who book was pretty, inspirational for us on that. Yeah, it's, it's a great one. I recommend that to a lot of clients. And you can always, I, I'm a big fan of getting people to do some kind of test. So it doesn't actually have to be paid work. It's just mm-hmm. like you do an assessment or you do show me how you would do this kind of thing to actually hand in some homework to evaluate. And what you can't do ethically is have somebody do actual client work for free, mm-hmm. but you could do. Yeah, like we're, so this is us as a B Corp. We pay everyone for tests. <laughs> That's great. That's wonderful. Uh, but we don't pay them what they would. So a, a lot of times it's like, we'll pay you $25 an hour and you have a maximum of four hours. And we might do it for like two or three people. So we give them like a window and we're not going to pay them what, you know, a developer doesn't make $25 an hour. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, but that way we're at least compensating them for the effort. Because I've just read too much about people. I mean, I've even seen people talking on LinkedIn about, uh, you know, I had to do an eight hour thing and they didn't get paid. They didn't get, you know, I'm just, I don't know. <laughs> it's a part of treating people well. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Being respectful, but you do get that, that lens on whether they can, because everyone can talk about how they're going to perform, but when you actually mm-hmm. see them perform, that's a pretty big lens. Yeah. Right? And so what's next for uh, what's next for Equalize? So I mentioned that we are sort of starting to explore the possibilities of um, raising funds so that we can focus more on our software products. I'm really excited about it. Um, on the community side, uh, I we just had our first meeting today for WP Accessibility Day, which is going to be a conference that we're going to run probably in October of 2022. Uh, so we're just getting ready to start planning that. And there, we have a really great group of volunteers who are going to help organize. And so I'm really excited about that as well. 
Nice. And can you say, I mean, there's no problem if you, you don't want to say, um, but like, what's the level of the round you're looking for? If that would help you to get that out there in terms of, you know, there might be an investor or two listening to the podcast. Yeah. So, so right now we are targeting 1.4. That's sort of our aspirational. Uh, our thought is we need about 800 in what we call the first 12 months and then 600,000 in the second 12 months. So yeah. we could maybe go lower, but we're shooting for the stars right now. We'll and see that, how it goes. Is that primarily for development purposes or for marketing purposes in terms of application of the funds? So it's a it's a combination, um, but I would say it's primarily so that we can build out features that we want to build faster. Uh, but we will use some funds on the marketing end and and I would love to hire a technical writer because right now I write all of our documentation, <laughs> which is a big task. Oh, it is. That's yeah. so. So on that, that's that interest. So you're doing. So you as a business owner, you got a lot going on. You're a parent. Um, you're running mm-hmm. this business. You're running a meetup group. You're trying to do fundraising. Um, you're now doing a conference. Um, how do you? plan your time and how do you how do you even from and two two answer two parts to that question one is as an organization like how do you how do you choose your strategic focus for any i don't know 90 180 day period and then just for mm-hmm. yourself how do you sort of structure your time yeah so organizationally we are so this is part of us as a b corp we practice um what's called open book management with yeah. our team members so we have quarterly meetings where we go through all of our financial reports and we go through our goals um, and define or redefine them on a quarterly basis as a team. Um, and then we weekly, we have weekly meetings with our team um, on Zoom every Monday morning. We also will touch base on those goals and how we're doing and progress and things like that. Um, yeah, right now I wear a lot of hats. That's pretty common though, right? With small businesses and entrepreneurs in the early startup days. Uh, So I think from like a balancing perspective and managing time, um, I benefit a lot from my partner, who's our COO. Uh, He he manages all of our calendar and schedules and everything with clients and when we're going to do development sprints on the product and, and when can that fit in. I would not even be able to (laughs) to manage all of those pieces. Um, I'll also say like good project management software is way worth investing in. So we use Basecamp to the tune that my partner and I, my husband and I, we also have a little project in Basecamp that's called Heinz Life. And it's where we track things for our life. So we use the to-do lists and we assign to-do lists. We sometimes talk in the campfire. We use the docs and files if it's like, you know, here's a report card for the kids. Let's go stick it in here so the other one can see it. <laughs> so we manage our life in Basecamp also. <laughs> Do you arrange your dates and everything through Basecamp too? Uh, there are moments <laughs> when we do. <laughs> it's funny, please. we work at home and we work together, but we have separate offices at home um, because we're both like talking and, and that kind of stuff. So there are some times where we only talk um on base camp, like chatting during the day, or we'll even sometimes have Zoom meetings because we both need to be on the computer. <laughs> and the two of us are sitting in separate rooms having a Zoom meeting. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But yeah. Uh, 
that's that, so, that that's covid couple <laughs> it, it it totally is uh but yeah i think and and he's a huge there have been a lot of times with the with what we've needed to do with the business where he really has taken priority with our kids and we've sort of seen this as kind of a handoff so when he was working in restaurants i was parent like 97 percent of the time because <laughs> he he opened a restaurant, which if anyone's ever opened a restaurant, that's a very huge time commitment. He basically would leave at 8 a.m. and come back at 12 in the morning the next day. Right. right? Um, so I was the mom and he was the worker. And there's a lot of times now where he his weekdays are shorter. Like I just heard, and I don't know if you heard in the podcast, the garage door going up as he was going to go get kids from school. So I think a lot of it is about good communication and figuring out how to like work in a partnership. Um, yeah. You know, so it's like we joke that he's the CEO of the business and of our family. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. It's great you guys have figured that out because that's a that can be a big that can be a big challenge for couples. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to do some, uh, I do this at the end of every podcast, do some quick rapid fire questions. Okay. You ready? Yep, let's go. All right. So one decision or action that most helps you get where you are. Oh, rapid fire. (laughs) Uh, Having my husband join the business. Great. And if you had to do it over again, what would you change? If anything. (laughs) Uh. Don't say I'd have my husband join the business. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? I can't say that, no. Uh, You know, so on that other front, like thinking about hires, we've talked a lot about, should we have hired a designer before we hired a developer? (laughs) So. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And what what, what answer have you reached on that? I think we're glad that we, we hired our developer first, but it is interesting from a marketing perspective and positioning, like, so our designer now is just a contractor. We've never had a full-time designer, but I think if you have a full-time designer that works for your business, like you might have a better brand mm. um, and image and, and that could maybe be stronger and take you further. I don't know. <laughs> oh, good so. question. On the yeah. days I enjoy most, this is what I'm doing. Oh, it's with my kids. So we love to hike and we like to go out different places. So probably hiking, being with my four girls, not in the office. Hmm. But if I'm in, if it's a work day, I love this kind of thing. I love talking with people face to face. I love running the meetups. That's, that's the thing. Like it takes a little bit away from work and I do one in the evening, but it's, it's so worth it. Cause I love connecting with people. Awesome. That's well, that's a good role for a CEO. Yes. <laughs> one, one aspect of running a business I have yet to master. Oh yeah. Well, full time balance, as much as we like to say earlier that I've got it all figured out with all those things I'm going, no. (laughs) So still, still trying to figure out prioritization and, and getting things done. And and I will fully admit that there are times when we go to team meeting and I'm the person who has failed to meet a deadline. Got it. And what's the problem you'd most like to solve in your business? Right now it is having more time for development on our product. Right. And that hence, hence the need for the money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> As an entrepreneur, particularly one who's done, you know, you've done B Corp, you've had a, a, a particular social cause focus within your business. What's, what's been your biggest learning? 
I think the, I think there's been a lot, what has been the biggest thing I've learned? I, I don't know. I, I don't know why that feels like a hard question that there's, there's just so much that you learn as an entrepreneur, you know, every day. Right. Yes. Um, and or maybe I think I'm most surprised by. Like yeah. Well, starts a business with a vision and all of a sudden it's like, holy crap, I didn't know that. Well, you know, in the early days, and I think this is common for a lot of entrepreneurs is you, you have to learn the hard lesson of it's not like field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. Right. <laughs> right? right. Uh, so even though I had the marketing background when I started the business, I think, and especially I think it's, it's weird when you are doing marketing for other people, you sometimes forget to do it for yourself. Right. <laughs> and, and so that was something I think that I had to learn. And there, there have been like ups and downs, especially in, in our business with like how uh, it can sometimes, they say it's in marketing it be feast or famine, right? There's a lot of leads coming in and there's not, right? And so trying to figure out like, what does that balance look like? Um, and how do we dial things up or down to try and be a little more level and not riding a roller coaster um, is I think like something that particularly in our industry, but maybe in every business, you have to learn how to do that. Yeah. I think pretty much every business struggles with that. <laughs> yeah. okay, two final questions. They're kind of at the personal level. What's one personal quality that you most had to improve or overcome? So I, I am a perfectionist and I think I expect a lot of myself. And in turn, I also expect a lot of my employees and my team members. Um, and I think that maybe leading in a constructive way did not come naturally in the beginning. Um, and so I definitely had to learn how to you know, respond to different personalities and figure out how to talk to different people. Um, and then also how to respect that just because it wasn't done exactly the way I did it didn't mean that it wasn't done right or well. <laughs> right. That's, that's actually such an important distinction. Though. I'm, I'm glad you said that because there is, there is a thing that people get confused about the difference between my, my preference in style versus substantively, this is what quality means. And yes, people need to be able to distinguish those two things because there's many paths to the same place. Mm -hmm. So last question then, what's one personal quality, no false humility, what's one personal quality that most contributed to your success? Well, I, I think I'm fairly confident. So I tend to not let things get me down a lot and, and I'm a strong problem solver. Um, which I think a little bit ties to the confidence, right? So if something doesn't work out, instead of being discouraged, I'm just like, okay, what, what do we need to change? Because I know this can work. I just got to figure out the right way to approach it, right? Right. <laughs> and I think that's been really helpful in, you know, different times and ups and downs in all of my business since 2010, right? And figuring out how do we, how do we keep it going in the right direction, even when it feels like it's impossible. That's a, that's fantastic. Cause there's always, there's always a solution. It's just how, how dig you have to deep for it. Right. Or how yeah. deep you have to dig for it. Well, that's, that's awesome. So where can people find you? Yep. So you can find me. Our website again is equalizedigital.com. 
I, these days, I'm very active on Twitter. We'll see how it sticks because I'm not a super social media person. Um, but my Twitter handle is, I'll say it and then I'll spell it. It's the core blog. So it's A-U-C-O-E-U-R blog, um, which is French. And it's based on my old website that I had a long time ago. My personal blog was named that. Um, so what does so that, that mean? Uh, it means at heart. So uh, that, that is my Twitter handle, and that's probably the best place to get a hold of me. Um, or you can reach me through our website, send me an email. I'm also on LinkedIn. So if that's the best place, just say it one more time. Akur. Yeah. Akur blog. A-U-C-O-E-U-R-B-L-O-G. Nice. Thank you so much for being on. You've shared a ton of information. If people should look into being a B Corp if they think they qualify, because it obviously attracts better people and can help you attract clients. Think about the cause you want to make. Stay profit focused. Um, make sure you're managing your people in a in a way that is uh, what was the term you used? Um, appropriately constructive. responsive, constructive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Some really great lessons in there. So thank you so much. And I wish you continued success and you keep making this positive impact you're having in the world. What you do is important. Thank you. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Hi, it's Warren Coughlin here. Thank you so much for listening to the Business That Matters Spotlight. If you're a successful, values-driven entrepreneur who makes a difference while making a profit and you'd like to be on this program, please visit warrencoglin.com slash podcast slash apply. That's warren, C-O-U-G-H-L-I-N dot com slash podcast slash apply. If you got something out of this interview, would you do us a favor and share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag business that matters spotlight i love seeing your posts and guest suggestions we're regularly putting out new episodes and content to make sure you don't miss any episodes go ahead and subscribe your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team want to know more go to our website warrencoglin.com or follow me on linkedin facebook.com slash a business that matters and instagram at warren.coglin thanks for listening we'll see you next time